I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi. And this is Not the Beginning, a podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and a Wheel of Time newbie read through each of the 14 books in this long series. Morning. This podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences, and will contain spoilers. If you've not read Robert Jordan's The Shadow Rising, please proceed with caution. A man who came in then, or any woman unable to channel, would have seen only two women facing each other across the white silk rope from a distance of less than ten feet. Two women staring at one another in a vast hall full of strange things. They would have seen nothing to say it was a duel. No leaping about and hacking with swords as men would do. Nothing smashed or broken. Just two women standing there, but a duel all the same, and maybe to the death, against one of the Forsaken. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will dive in and discuss chapters 54 to the end of The Shadow Rising. Note, I have not read anything from The Fires of Heaven, and Will is going to do his best not to bring in anything from the next ten books during our discussion. If you've read through The Shadow Rising, you should be good. If you haven't, I recommend pausing here and going to finish it. Chapter summaries, as always, from dragonmount.com. Nynaeve, Elaine, and a surprisingly willing Aginan sneak into the Panarch's palace under cover of a manufactured riot. Elaine and Aginan rescue Amathera. Nynaeve acquires the male Adam and one of the seals to the Dark One's prison. She duels Mogedian, winning by a hair, but the Black Aja senses them. Mogedian escapes in the confusion. Elaine, Nynaeve, Aginan, and Amathera escape the palace and return to the inn. Bail Doman agrees to drop the male Adam in the deepest part of the sea he can find. The Two Rivers prepares for the biggest onslaught yet, with women and tinkers planning to escape with the children if the men fall. The White Cloaks intend to leave, but Perrin goads them into staying. The Trollocs attack, but the White Cloaks refuse to fight. The women leave the children with the tinkers and join the fighting. Then Fael returns, leading a force from Watch Hill, while men from Devon Ride attack the Trollocs from a third side. The Trollocs break and run. Perrin chews out the White Cloaks for refusing to help. Bornhald and his men are ousted from the two rivers. Ordeath decides Rand hasn't taken his bait and determines to make mischief elsewhere. The Maidens basically adopt Rand, the son of a Maiden, into their society. Rand and Ruark's Tardad arrive at Alcair Dal to find the Shido there in numbers. Savannah, widow of the most recent Shido to enter Roydian, allows Kuladin to speak at the meeting of the chiefs. Kuladin's arms now bear dragons like Rand's. Rand shows his dragons and reveals the secret of Roydian. Kuladin tries to kill Rand, sparking a battle. Rand makes it rain to stop the Aiel from killing each other. Lanfear appears and reveals that Asmodian is looking for something in Roydian. Rand goes after him, skimming for the first time. Rand finds himself traveling on a platform through endless blackness and sees Asmodian, a.k.a. Jason Natale, ahead of him. They fight, arrive at Roydian, and fight some more. They both try to claim the access to Angriol, which links to the great Sangreal and Kyrian. Roydian's veil is broken, as is much of the city. Rand cuts Asmodian's protection from the taint on Sidene and defeats him. Lanfear shields Asmodian in such a way that he can teach Rand to channel, but not escape. Rand returns to Alcair Dal to find that some of each Aiel clan, except the Tardad, have rejected him as he who comes with the dawn and left with the Shido. Okay, it's the end of the book. It is. And all of the things that were set up to happen happened. Sort of. Sort of. The Rand one is a bit twisty. And the girls have not yet defeated the Black Aja. 
No, but they did confront Mogedian. Yes, so that I, wasn't really set up at the beginning of the book, though. That was no, like well, that was introduced like two sections ago. Well, what was set up at the beginning of the book is them dealing with the problem that the Black Aja was going to cause for Rand, and they've done that. They have the male Adam. Yes, that bit is complete, or yeah. at least. And they did. So they did resolve, I think, the Tanchico stuff because yes. the Black Aja are not going to be staying any longer. So they're just going to have to keep chasing them. No, the whole city's a mess right now. Yeah, they're going to. I feel like they're going to be chasing the Black Aja for a while and they're going to slowly dwindle them down in numbers. Maybe. They might also have to start being on the run. Mogidian did lose to Nynaeve, but only barely and probably partially only because Mogidian underestimated Nynaeve. Yeah, Nynaeve almost stilled a Forsaken. Yeah. And that is amazing. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit right up front. There's a little bit of side stuff with Aginan and Elaine and Baeldomon, and none of it really matters other than they kind of have a new traveling companion in the form of Amathera, the Panarch. Yeah, basically, just to lead up, they sneak their way into the Panarch's palace. Yep. With Ice Peppers and Beldomon helps. And then Elaine and Aginan go off and do what their task is going to be, which is the Amathera stuff. And then Nynaeve goes into the hall to try to find the Atom. Yep. And she also wants to get the seal. Which yes. Is fair. Yeah, it's a pretty important thing. Put another one in the protection of at least Moraine. Yep. If they not don't... the White Tower, because, ooh, boy. Because they don't know about the White Tower. Nope. They're saying something, yes, this will go to the White Tower, but, you know, she doesn't want the male Adam to be held by anyone. Right. She only trusts it with, like, her and Elaine. Yeah. And I guess Bail Domon. He can't use it. He can't use it. And, you know, Bail Domon has proven himself to be relatively reliable. Yeah. He, but I think the reason she's probably comfortable keeping it with him is he can't use it. Yep. And he's not inclined to be aligned with any other eyes no. guy. But yeah, the only women that Nynaeve would trust the thing in the hands of are herself because she can trust herself. Yep. Elaine because she's in love with Rand and Egwene who is not there who used to be in love with Rand and is his She's best girl friend now. And she's also Nynaeve's former apprentice. Right. But, like, she basically trusts the people who care about Rand as Rand, not yeah. Rand as the dragon. Yeah. And those are the three women in his life that seem to... Definitely. That and at least she knows of, because she doesn't know about the maidens. Nope. The maidens are all very reliable. And Avienda, even though she's no longer technically a maiden, I feel like is lumped into that. People who yeah. care... And would be trustworthy. Yeah. There's a very small list of people who Nynaeve would trust. And Moraine isn't even in that list. Which, no. you know, is... Fair. A little bit of fair, but it's definitely a fault on Nynaeve for not thinking that. I don't think that Moraine would use it. And I don't think that Nynaeve thinks that either. But she does not necessarily trust Moraine to find a way to keep it... She would want to keep it on her and the, just... Yeah. No, I need wants it destroyed, but it right. can't be destroyed. And so she's going it did, to... Uh, it did take a blasting from Balefire. We know that it is 
at least sturdy enough, if not made of Quandiar, to withstand Balefire, which is just about the most destructive thing in the world. Yeah. So she can't destroy it, so she wants it out of the picture. Yeah. And she, I think she wouldn't trust Moraine to come to that conclusion if it was necessary. She, maybe not. Which I think is a fair assumption. That maybe. It's hard to tell with Moraine because of all of the people who kind of want their hooks in Rand for various purposes, Moraine's is the most compatible with Rand as a person. Yes. Like, the wise ones want him to lead the Aiel through whatever's coming to survive. And most Aes Sedai want to use him just as a meat puppet. Swan is a step back from meat puppet status, but she would definitely do it if she thought it was necessary. Moraine has kind of, I think, come to the realization that Rand is going to Rand. Yes, and I don't think that she would try to control him with it, but I do think Nynaeve believing that Moraine has this like kinship with Aes Sedai and she trusts them and she's aligned yeah. with them, it's fair to assume that maybe Moraine would possibly give it up to someone else who... <laughs> I can understand uh, Nynaeve thinking that. If that, if that is the case, we don't ever actually hear her say that. She just kind of gives it to Bail Domon and go dr- goes drop it in the ocean. And he's like, okay, okay no. I'll go do that. But yeah, the bigger thing is that Nynaeve confronts Mogadian and almost wins. Yep. Mogadian's just kind of like hanging out, walking down the hallway, and Nynaeve's like, oh, fuck, that's her. Yep. And we learn several things in this fight. We do, because Mogadian is talkative. Yes. Mogadian's talkative, and we also learn, like, because Nynaeve is getting tired, she also notices that Mogadian's getting tired. Yeah. And so we ha- we learn that Mogadian is not as strong as Lanfear. No. And so Mogadian, I think, if Nynaeve can figure her shit out with this block and train with the one power, Rand doesn't need to be the one to take Mogadian down. No. Nynaeve could easily do it. She definitely could. She she can match her. Now, I do think that that fight becomes a lot different when Mogidian is prepared. Which is why Nynaeve now has to figure out her block in yeah. order to get around it. I think it goes a little beyond that. A prepared Mogidian has not only centuries of experience. You know, she was put in the seal relatively young for an Aes Sedai, but that's still like a couple hundred years old yeah. for the Age of Legends. So she has a couple hundred years of experience using the One Power. She does. I do think that she possibly on the scale of One Power strength is not as strong as Nynaeve. Um, it's a little more complicated than that. Nynaeve is, I, is definitely very powerful. I think Mogedian is still above her in raw power. But she might have different strengths. Like, raw power isn't the whole thing, right? Landfear is less powerful than Rand, but can still, right now, just obliterate Rand. Yeah. And even if Rand had full command of his power, it might be an even fight because Landfear might be 
better matched against Rand than somebody else. Yeah. It's about how much strength you have and how you use it. And Mogedian clearly isn't very well suited for one-on-one fights. Like, and if you put Nynaeve and Egwene together, or even Nynaeve and Elaine together, and they yeah. can tire her out long enough for Nynaeve to then cut back in and yeah. be like, bam, you're they, done. They basically get into this stalemate where they're both defending against a shield being put on them and trying to put a shield on the other person, and they are so tied up in that fight that they cannot do anything else until Nynaeve goes over there and punches her. <laughs> which like, fuck yeah, Nynaeve. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Nynaeve is not one to forget that she has a body. Yeah. And can use it. Yeah. And so she slaps the shit out of Mogedian. <laughs> and finally manages to put a shield on her. I really hope we get to see this fight in the show because I really want to see the actress. Who oh, plays my Nynaeve God. just completely yes. slap a Forsaken. Yes. <laughs> Please. I also want to see the actress playing Elaine, like, whack someone over the head with a staff, because Elaine does that at some point in the book. Yep. I want to, like, and Elaine punches some people, too. Like... Elaine's kind of punchy. Yeah. She's not And that actress doesn't look like she would be a person who would walk up to you and punch you in the face. Night Neves, like, that actress, like, yeah, I would be wary that you'd punch me in the face. Elaine... good job casting department. (laughs) Elaine, I would be like, you're not going to punch me in the face. You just punched me in the face. Yup. Yup, yup. Yeah, if there's one thing that this book established, it's that nobles are not inherently pushovers. Because no. Berylene at the beginning of the book has some tricks. They're not worthy of even putting up half a fight against Ruark. But who can, bl- <laughs> who can blame anybody for losing to Ruark? Daddy. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, Nynaeve fights about getting into a stalemate and only wins because she realized how she could actually do something else. Which is just punch. She punched her in the face and then shielded her. And it the only reason she didn't manage to still her is because it she didn't leave enough she didn't have enough energy and she didn't leave enough time for her build up of her one power shot after punching her in the face to still her. Yeah. It, like the edge didn't get sharp enough before she yeah, which is interesting. And then she has other things to deal with pretty quickly. Right after shielding Mogidian, she takes the Adam and the seal. But then another one of the Black Aja comes around because they just had a massive fight with the One Power. Anybody who could sense it in, like, a couple miles could probably figure out, like, oh, some shit's going down. Yep. And this is a Black Aja person who has the Balefire wand. Yup. And and it just destroys half the castle. Yeah, there's just Balefire going nuts. Because it's unstable. Very dangerous. Do not use. Yeah. And... uh, It's implied, I don't know if it's confirmed here, but it's definitely implied that she kills herself with Balefire. Yeah. Because it just suddenly stops. And there is no trace of her at all. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's assumed that she is no longer on the plane of existence. Yeah, she's she's mega dead. And, you know, the uh, Elaine manages to take care of one of the Black Aja, too. She's, she shields her and yep. ties it off. So yep. they did get two Black Aja out of the way. 
Mm. Even if they didn't... One of them is definitely not permanently out of the way. But at least, like, partially. Yeah. it's not. She's not going to be a problem for a little bit. Yeah, because they'd have to figure out how to unshield her. And wouldn't Elaine have to be the one to unshield her? You can break through a, a tied-off shield. Okay. It just takes a little longer to... Well, actually, it doesn't take a little longer to break to get through a tied-off shield. It takes significantly less time to break a tied-off shield, depending on strength. So Elaine is most likely stronger than this woman, so it will take longer than if somebody weaker shielded her and tied her off. Yeah. But it's still possible. It's very, very difficult to keep somebody shielded indefinitely. You need... A few people. I, I I think it's like six people, maybe a little bit more. It, it might be even a full thirteen people. And like to at keep that point, why not person. just still or yeah, them like yeah. Partially because stilling is like a really severe consequence. So like you might not, you might want to be indefinitely shielding them, but not permanently shielding them. That's true. That's fair. Or. You might just be transporting them. Like in Logan's case, they had Logan shielded and they were transporting him to have judgment served. And that judgment was him being gentled. That's why in the show they make kind of a big deal about, you know, why did you steal Logan? He should have been brought here to be brought to justice. Well, he tried to kill a bunch of people. He was causing problems and it made sense for him to be still. But um, it's still very much like a I said I are very formal. Yeah. They are very, like, lawful. I feel like lawful neutral. They're lawful good. Mm. They're serving a higher purpose, and that higher purpose is the betterment of the world. That's true. It's just how they see it. But, yeah. Naive. Kicking ass. We also learn something important, because, as we said, Mogidian likes to talk a lot, and she mentions Robin. Yep. And... In this, like, taunting naive, like, oh, I'm going to give you over to Robin, even though he's already got a pretty little queen to entertain him. Yep. I am confident and as confidently as I can with my predictions in saying that Morghese's advisor is absolutely one of the Forsaken. Okay. You definitely thought he was a dark friend before. And now I am convinced that he's a Forsaken. Okay, not quite a dark friend but I mean, one of the chosen. Yeah. No. I did. He was sus, and I yes. didn't think that he was necessarily a Forsaken. So at a minimum, he was a dark friend. Yeah. But But now, now you I'm... think he's definitely a Forsaken, and you think he's definitely Robin. Yes. He could be one of two others. He could be Samael or I thought Demandrid. Sam... I thought... Samael's an alien. Yeah, so he it's not Okay, him. so it's definitely not Samael, but it could be Demandrid. Because we have not... Heard imagine. anything from him. But no, I am, I am like, staking my prediction. Okay. Okay. Morghese's advisor is Robin. Cool. When do you think we're going to, that's a pretty major thing. That's like a point of view character's mother and the queen of the country that Rand is from. When, if ever, do you think we're going to deal with that? Um, I feel like it's going to be, bef- I, I would be not as confident but pretty confident in saying at least before book seven. Before book seven, okay. I'm giving it two books. Ah. Because they got to get two 
Because, like, Morghese isn't a POV character. Nope. And so we got to, like, get someone to Caitlyn. Okay. Who do you think that's going to be? Do you have any guesses? I don't know. It's kind of wide open right now. Yeah, it's anyone's guess. Perrin. Perrin. Lord Perrin of the Two Rivers. Oh, Perrin is actually the closest geographically to them. Because he's at least in Andor. That's true. He's in the uh, Two Rivers. You know, if Fael has her way. He'll be Lord of the Two Rivers. Lord of the Two Rivers. Because she's been working that background. Oh, man. She goes to Watch Hill. It's like... Lord Parent of the Two Rivers, Women's Circle. Do you want to come check him out to see if he's a good fit for the Two Rivers? Yep. The two, you know, part of the town has already decided that, yeah, this is a great thing. Evans Field has already signed off on Lord Parent. So now we just yeah. got to get the rest of the towns in the Two Rivers to get on it. And yep. I am just digging the whole Fayil and Parent thing. Let's talk about Parent. We should probably cover Elaine real quick. And just get off of that stuff. And before okay. we yeah. move on chunks. Elaine doesn't have too much going on. She kind of gets Amethera to follow her around. Yeah, she saves the Panarch from being used as a puppet. Yep. Ties off a shield on one of the Black Aja. Kind of the Panarch in the inn. Yeah. She does whatever she does to get Amethera to cooperate. Because it happens off page. It's so but by the time, shit. But by the time Nynaeve gets there, Amathera's like, like, just side-eye looking at Elaine yeah. all the time. And Aginan's even like, what did I witness? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it takes, we've established that it takes a fair amount to get Aginan shaken. And then when they get back to the inn and... Like, Tom realizes how Elaine has Amathera under control and she's like... Forcing Amathera to basically work in the kitchens because she's like, she doesn't know anything about her people. She didn't even, she hadn't even heard of the soup kitchens. And she's like, she's just going to be a bad leader. So I'm teaching her a lesson. <laughs> it's like, okay. And even in Nynaeve's head, it's like, yeah, like, you know, but I feel if she thinks about those things, she at least would she know. She considers the needs of her people. And it's very, very heavily implied that. If it might be outright said in an earlier section, but it's at least heavily implied that at, even at her best, Amathera was just just like a pretty little showpiece for the king. Yeah, and, and like she's clearly more than that because she was able to, to a non-trivial degree, resist the Black Aja. So she's got something going on in there. But she, but I think Elaine just wants to give her a kick in the pants of like yeah. start paying start paying attention to your job. You have a very important job. It is on par with a king. Do it. Yeah. And uh, maybe spending some time in the kitchens yeah. with the people that you're trying to serve will do that. Which Hopefully like, it will. And Tom says that she will make a very good queen. Okay, Tom. I mean, Tom's a little I am, biased. I am digging the. Like the Papa Tom, the Papa energy. Tom energy. I didn't want to say Dad Tom. <laughs> no, because it's not really. Tom would be a daddy. Show Tom is a daddy. <laughs> yeah, hot Tom. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but he's Papa Tom. Pa- Papa Tom. <laughs> he's like Grandpa Tom. He's like Grandpa Tom, and he. I'm digging that. That was one of my. Like I are enjoyed we, that. Are we throughout. just? 
classifying the male characters in the Wheel of Time based on what type of father energy they give off. Yes, and I actually have a point later on my outline in the book talking points of like, so Rand has a one power teacher now. Yeah. So he's got sword dad, spear daddy, and... I don't know. We'll have to think of a good term. <laughs> we have to think of a good term for... Asmodian. Asmodian. Yeah, but we'll get there because we still have... <laughs> the only thing that I got was source daddy and I do not like it. <laughs> no, uh-uh. We need a better right. one. And Asmodian definitely doesn't, he does not have daddy in No, he does not. That is reserved for He's got like, Ruark. he's got like kind of shitty uncle energy. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Perrin first, because Perrin's got a whole bunch of stuff going on too. Baby Perrin. All of the things that could wrap this book, wrapped this book. Yep. Every single one of them, because it's a really long fucking book. Yeah. We open with Perrin right after their wedding night. And by the end of it, we it, it's kind of revealed they didn't even consummate their marriage. Nope. And <laughs> Perrin is very excited to go do that yeah, now. He, is. Um, <laughs> he might have a broken leg, does not care. No. <laughs> we open with him writing a letter to Fael, basically being like, I'm a die. I'm, I'm not sorry I sent you away. But if I am dead, I, I want you to know that I love that like you have all of my love and yeah. basically the, it's a if I am dead letter. <laughs> Pretty much. He then goes through a, a little mini round of Paranebara project manager to Rivers. Yeah, he goes through the like battle prep. Yeah, before kind of ending with two things before the fight. The women gathering to like protect the children. And the tinkers. And the tinkers. And they're like, who are like wrangling the children. It's, yeah. They're doing, the, the tinkers are doing as best they can to be involved in this without actually fighting. Actually fighting, which is keeping the children together. Each tinker has like four children strapped to them. And <laughs> yeah. They're just like ready to book it. They're going to be ready to run so that the women's circle can focus on fighting and fighting defending. Trollocs. Yeah. And they do, and it's amazing. They do. And and it's a little confusing at first because uh, of the White Cloaks, which we'll get we'll get to the women after we get to the White Cloaks. Mm-hmm. The White Cloaks are prepping to leave. They're like, we don't want to be, no one wants us here. We're only here because of you, and you're not going to just let us arrest and, you know, execute you with a sham of a trial. So we're going to leave. And Perrin... Basically is like, I will surrender without any fuss if, if you, you help. stay and help. Yep. And they do they neither, do spoiler they, alert. They sit on their asses in the village they, green. They go up to the hill and watch. Yep. And then when they try to come back down and arrest him, he's like, uh, no, you did not stay. I was very careful with my wording because Fyle's like, you said what? It's very wife. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. uh, what did you do while I was gone? Yep. And, <laughs> And He's like, I was careful. One thing I love about that a lot is they start arguing about it, and then everybody in the Two Rivers pulls a bow on them. <laughs> and, and the White Cloaks are like, okay, bye. And it, well, because they just saw what they did to the Trollocs with those bows. Yeah. They're like, we're not getting out. No. We, we you know, maybe we'll <laughs> kill someone. And the Two Rivers folk would have no qualms about murdering all those White Cloaks. None at all. <laughs> if it, I mean, they if it weren't for Perrin, they might have. But Perrin, one, just being a good guy. Perrin. Perrin is a good guy. They, confirmed. they, they watched him grow up 
and then watched him take charge and save all of them. Yeah. Per- their love of Perrin trumps the desire to not be a murderer. Yeah. And two, uh, there's there has to be a non-trivial element of Perrin is Tavirin here. This is not the time for this to happen, if there is ever a time for it to happen. Nope. And the and the the wheel is like, no. Yup. So the the white cloaks are useless as always. The white cloaks suck. And like the the rest of the white cloaks are like, leader dude, can we just go? Yup. Did you not see what they just did to a bunch of trogs? They're gonna no. Yeah. I get that you're like trying to avenge your dad, but I'm not even sure the parent killed your dad, so I'm not dying for you. Right. Which fair. Yeah. yeah. But so the white cloaks since the white cloaks don't help, the women go to the front lines and they're they're pretty effective. I mean it like they work in pairs and manage to kill Trollocs and like Yeah. I mean, are they as effective as, you know, the people coming on horses from Watch Hill and Devon Ride? No, but for people who aren't trained, they're not trained. They're not even properly equipped because all the weapons went to the men who were fighting on the front lines. Yeah, they're using pitchforks, which, you know, big um, Allsbet Lujan vibes. Yeah. Like in this house, we appreciate Allsbet Lujan. Was Allsbet Lujan roped in with the women's circle or was she roped in with the men? Because it was very a little confusing as to where Elspeth <laughs> Lujan started. Uh, women's circle. <laughs> That's what I assumed, but yeah. when she was getting ready, it seemed like she was ready to just stand next to her husband, which like, big respect. Yeah, no, the women of the Two Rivers are fantastic. Yeah, they, but they hadn't been training. Even, like, all of the younger boys and the men who didn't know how to fight before the Trollocs started attacking, they've been training for weeks now at this yeah. point. So they are all much better. Even Aram, like, kills two Trollocs in a row, Aram, saving Perrin's life. Yeah, there's a little bit about Aram really, really taking to Tam's lessons. Which, like... Like, scarily fast. Yeah, because he, like... Perrin gets knocked off his horse. He's pinned by his horse. And Arm just, like, comes by, kills two Trollocs, helps get the horse off Perrin, and then keeps on going. Yep. It's like, all right, all right. He, uh, Perrin has a pretty uh, deadly and very loyal, I don't know, lieutenant companion. because yeah, his... Arm is basically like, you're my family now because mine just abandoned me. So. Which, like, yikes. I get it, but, like, chill out a little bit, Aram. But also Perrin just lost all his family, too, so. Except we get a really nice line about one of the, like, messenger boys who, like, runs to Perrin in the middle of the battle. And Perrin's like, what's your name? And he's like, something. Ibarra. Ibarra. I think I'm your cousin. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) And you can just, like, you feel Perrin is like, okay, then, cousin, you need to go do this for me. Yeah. And you can just kind of, like, feel when you're reading that, that, like, He's probably, like, 11. If he's running in this battle, he's he can't be older than 11 or 12. And you can just feel his, like, surge of pride at being Perrin fucking Golden Eye's cousin. <laughs> yeah. And you also get this nice little, like, moment in Perrin's eyes. Like, he had he just sees Fael in the distance. And now he's got this cousin. He's like, I think I might be okay. Like, it doesn't... I have a family again. Yeah. And it's it's like, great. Parent. Robert Jordan hits you real hard with the parent stuff this book. I love him. 
It's amazing. I need to protect Perrin. Perrin needs to be protected. Yes. In a very different way because he just needs emotional protecting. (laughs) He can do the physical protecting. Whereas Matt needs physical protecting. And I guess Rand needs cosmic protecting. Rand needs a lot of help. (laughs) (laughs) The boy needs help. And, you know, a non-trivial amount of therapy. All of them need therapy. He Rand needs extra and constant therapy because he is going magically insane. Yes, Perrin, I think, would... Although, it should be worth noting with Rand, with, with Rand, we haven't really seen much evidence of him going nuts. Not recently? I, I he, mean... He laughs at things, but the man's under a lot of stress. Yeah, I think it's just normal going crazy. Right. <laughs> the taint doesn't seem to be getting to him so much yet. Yeah, and he's not, now that he's accepted his channeling, he's not doing with the channeling sickness crazy thing like he was, was in just book one. That was just because he was new to channeling. Yeah. But, but yeah. Perrin must be protected emotionally. Yeah, Perrin needs some therapy, but I think he would, I think he would get through his therapy journey and be like, okay, I think I'm okay with stepping back from therapy for a while and I'll go back if I need to. I think Rand needs several years of therapy. Rand needs therapy until he dies. Yeah. He's got a lot. Perrin will just need some to get over his grief. Which yes. is fair. Sometimes you need yeah. help with grief. Yeah. Anyway, we, we touched on it briefly. The fight begins with the Trollocs. They're fighting. It's looking bad because the women are fighting. And he's like, oh, fuck. Also, the Trollocs are talking. They're chanting Isam. Yeah. I don't know who that is. Ordeeth, Pat and Fane later says that Isam was bringing in Trollocs. Still don't know who that is. Yeah, we sort of do. Um, But it's not looking good. Perrin sees the women fighting on the front lines and he's like, something went wrong in the village. And something kind of did go wrong in the village because the White Cloaks aren't fighting. And it's looking hopeless. He gets knocked off of his horse. Aram has to save him and he sees this messenger boy. And this boy comes in and is like... I need you to pay attention because Tam has important news. And that important news is that Devon Ride has come from the south. Yeah, so Devon Ride's riders from Devon Ride, I guess, sweep in unprompted. Like, this was not Fayil. No, she did think that that man who came and, like, immediately died in Perrin's arms that were like, we are coming. She's like, I thought that was Devin Wright. I was really hoping, but I didn't tell you that I thought it was Devin Wright because I didn't want to get your hopes up. Yeah. Which is... So, unprompted, people from Devin Wright sweep in to hit the Trollocs on a flank, and we get this just, like, perfect moment where, like, a, f- a force of people from Watch Hill crest a hill, and Fael is at at the top next to a banner... At, like, the setting sun. And he just looks at her and is like, she's beautiful. And we get, like, three pages of Perrin fighting and being a Fael simp. Yep. And it's just... I think it's my favorite thing in the entire book. Perrin knows how to appreciate his wife. (laughs) Like, 100%. 100%. Good job, Perrin. And honestly, like, I am really appreciating Fael. Because she's got, like... She has a mind for this battle stuff too yeah. is what you learn in these last couple sections because she did notice that someone came in from the south and was like she's like you know what I think that guy's from Devon Ride I'm gonna go to Watch Hill 
Yeah. He's, he's sending me away. He didn't say where I had to go. He didn't say where I had to go. I'm going to go to Watch Hill. I'm going to rally the troops, and then I'm going to go. And they all were, like, very impressed with Lord Perrin's lady. <laughs> yes. And a lot of them came just to see what Perrin was doing. Yeah. And it she, between her and Deb and Ride, it, she, it saved the day. Yeah. The Two Rivers was or at least Emmonsfield, was doomed without that happening because yeah. the White Cloaks weren't doing anything. Fael saved the day. Fael definitely saved the day. I mean, the, the Devon Riders were also very important, but definitely Fael and I think the people from Watch Hill. it would have gone on for a lot longer and they still would have only had like a 50-50 shot if yeah. Watch Hill hadn't come. Yeah, but between the three forces, they smash and break the Trollocs. Yeah. And it's pretty much like, this isn't going to be a problem again. This was so many of them. They're, we've shown that we're not easy pickings. They're not going to come at us like this again. And as we learn in Ordeeth's section, he's like, why the hell has Isam stopped bringing Trollocs? What the heck is going on? Yep. And, I mean, it's because the ways are closed. Yeah. But. And, there, well, there's a, there's another reason. I also figure that there's, Isam has decided, no, I'm done bringing Trollocs. Yeah. And, and we learn... The parent section ends with uh, a little blurb from Ordeeth where he gives up on harassing the two rivers. Yeah. It's like, Rand doesn't care about it anymore. Clearly it's my not, trap did not work. Right. It's not worth my time to be harassing the two rivers anymore. I'm going to move on to something else. Yeah. God help us. What is that other thing? He also, he's like, ah, oh, shit, there's like a Manetherin banner. Which apparently yeah. that... That wolf and eagle banner, it, in his memory of having all the old people... Two banners. There's, there's the two wolf banners. banner and the Manetherin banner. So did they know... Does the two rivers know the Manetherin banner? Or did, did they just... I think they do know that it's the banner of Manetherin. Did they kind of recreate it, but it was like a instinctual, like, cultural, like, generational I'm instinct. not sure where or they got it. Or was that Taviran? That well, back in book one, Moraine reminded Emmons Field that they used to be Manetherin. Okay, yeah. And I so forgot now, about the now they have listen a, up, you backwoods yeah, fuckers. Now they have a leader who they think is worthy of their old blood. Yeah, which is interesting, seeing as not Matt. Matt is the one who <laughs> is just speaking full old tongue now. Yup. Although he's speaking it for a different reason. He's got a bunch of other dudes crammed into his head. Yeah. We end on the Ordeeth thing, but there is some great wrap-up from Fael and Perrin. Yes. And she has been kind of working that back scenes of trying to get Perrin to be Lord Perrin. Yep. And he's like, God damn it. Why do you have to do this? Stop calling me Lord God damn it. But then she distracts him. He's like, can we have some alone time? And then he immediately he spurs like, yeah, his horse okay. into a gallop. And she's like, <laughs> she like yelps and has to grab on. Yep. And it's like, okay. Perrin uh, wants it. Perrin's a bit horny. As he deserves to be. He just fought off a bunch of Trollocs and he got married. Yeah. Come on, man. And honestly, Fael deserves it, too. She yeah. saved the day. Absolutely. Fael deserves it. They both deserve a good railing. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. 
That's all the parents. We're not going to ever get that, and it's not that kind of book. Series. It is not that kind of book series. Robert Jordan is definitely, definitely, definitely a fade to black person. Yeah, that's fine. Like fade to black early. That's fine. That's what fan fiction will be for. Yes. Let's talk about Rand. Rand is probably the most twisty of the endings, because for most of this book, I would say sixty percent of this book. Ever since they got to the Waste, they've been setting up a conflict with the Shido. Yes, and I was very confused about the Aiel customs going on in this whole All Care Doll thing. Because, like, we just get a whole bunch of Ruark being like, I would have thought they had more honor than this. It's like, but what are they doing? I don't have any context for this. And Rand, Sir Rand, his POV is <laughs> aggravating me because... He's not filling in any information. So no. it's like he got all this information off page and then is operating under the assumption that we know it. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. At least like with Perrin sections and Matt's and Elaine's and Nynaeve's, if they learned something off page, there's a nice little recap. Yeah. Rand just keeps going. And I think Rand is pretending to know more than he does. I think he's also pretending to not know things. True. He is... Because he had apparently known that... He apparently knew the entire time that uh, Asmodian and Lanfear were hanging out somewhere, and he just had to figure out who it was. I think he at least knew about... I don't know that he knew about Asmodian, but I think he at least knew about... No, he did. No, he did know about it. Because he thought it was uh, Kadir. Yes, and he knew about it because of his dreams. They were watching his dreams. He knew about Lanfear because Lanfear was like, hi, would you like to fuck me in your dream? He's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a foursome with Avienda, Elaine, and Min. Fair. Fair. I mean, I feel like that's like a, that's probably a 50-50 trade. Lanfear is supposed to be one of the most beautiful women ever. But she's also evil. She's also evil. It is a dream. Evil. Fair. I know which choice I'd make, and it's not the evil one. <laughs> but I think he there was also mention of him noticing, like, a man in his dreams. Yeah, and he... So, but, like, he... It just is evident in the last section where he's like, yes, I assumed that you two were here. It's like, there was no mention of you ever being like, hi, huh, I wonder which one of these people are the Forsaken. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, Rand operates under the assumption that we're able to read his mind. And we are reading his mind because it's a book. Well, it's interesting because it's it's interesting that you're picking up on this because Rand is intentionally being confusing to people around him. And so... But even his internal monologue is confusing. So are you trying to confuse yourself, my dude? Maybe. I don't know. I was very confused. Like, the Maiden's Guard stuff is great. We get, like, an actual paragraph of the Maidens being like, we are adopting you because you are the only known child of a Maiden. You are one of us. Yeah. Which I think we touched on last section. And now we get, like, on page. He doesn't have a... Normally, when clan chiefs go to Al-Kerdal, their former society carries their honor 
for them, which is just fancy for they guard them. And some of the maidens are like, you don't, you weren't raised Aiel. You don't belong to a society. You are the son of a maiden who will never, you'll, you know, we never know the children of maidens. And you, so you are the first child of a maiden that has ever been confirmed to right. Aiel culture and therefore the maidens, the maidens are The maidens carry your honor. Uh, which, which is a good, that's a, it's a good sequence. And, and then, then they, they get him drunk. drunk. <laughs> which, like, if that isn't a, a, like, 10 out of 10 warrior society thing to do, I don't know what like, is. Like, we love you, and now we're going to get you drunk and put you to bed. Yeah. And Avienda's just, like, watching to make sure, like, <laughs> yep. hanging out while he has a hangover. Yep. And then the next morning, they get to Alcaerdal, and there are a fuckload of Shido. Is that the issue? Uh, the issue is two things. One, they brought way more than they should have. And two... Is that the... That's not the only issue. The other issue is that they're all veiled. This is okay. supposed to be kind of like... Th- this one, I think, is something you just missed. I think that's not it's... Rand thinking about it. They've very clearly been like, veiled I yield mean that they're going to kill you. Yeah, I just was very confused because it just, like, the Ruark and Rand exchange, there wasn't anything to clear it up if you were confused. Yeah. And I was. So I'm just like, Shido, question mark? Yeah. And... I didn't even really get until way later that it's like, oh, maybe because they brought too many of them? It's a little bit because of that. It's more because they're veiled. And Alkerdal is basically second to Roydian in the, you're not supposed to kill here. This is where we come to meet and hopefully peacefully resolve disputes. Yeah. Ruark goes through a thing of, like, if there's two clan chiefs, they talk about water. If there's three, they talk about water and grazing rights. And then he's like, if there's four, there's war. Except for here. Except for right now, because everybody has to be here. Right. And when they're heading into the basin, Ruark... Basically, is like, I'm not putting on my veil. None of the Tardat are going to put on their veils. No honor to the Shido. <laughs> Basically saying, we're not even going to consider you a threat. Yep. They are like, we are going to hold true. We are breaking one rule by having way too many people here already. We're not going to break yeah. another one. Yeah. Like. Um, you know, Ruark really earns his Spear Daddy rep. Because this is this Ruark. is a Spear Daddy move. This is. It's this is a, like... you are beneath my notice. <laughs> We <laughs> can get it. We don't even really have a great idea what he looks like. It does not he's, matter. He's tall and blonde. It honestly does not matter. It really doesn't. Female gaze, Ruark can get it. All based on personality. Yeah, 100%. And so they, they go in and they disregard the shadow. And they kind of enter on an argument between a couple of clan chiefs and Savannah, who... Yeah, I don't know who that is. Savannah was... is the wise one who's, like, sort of kind of in charge of the Shido right now. Okay, because their chief died, and then Kuladin's brother died, and now Kuladin... She was Kuladin's brother's wife. Okay. And so now she's like, "You, I am. I speak for the Shido. I speak as the clan chief for the Shido. I want to let Kuladin speak. And the clan chiefs are like, you can speak. He can't speak. He got denied. You can only speak because you're married to the old clan chief, not because you're a wise one. Yeah. 
And like they're very clear on the you you are the only person who can speak because of your marriage, not because you're a wise one. Because if we start letting wise ones speak here, they're going to think that we're going to try to meddle in their stuff and we can't have that. Yeah, we don't want we don't want them meddling because then they're going to be afraid that we're going to meddle. And it's just separation of clan chiefs and wise ones. Yeah. Very um, village council and women's circle. Yes. It's everywhere. Anyway, Coolidin does speak. And he claims to be he who comes with the dawn. Yeah, he gets there first. He, he like, and he's... rips off his <laughs> sleeves and is like, I have dragons, look at them. And it's just like, my dude, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, I didn't reveal myself beforehand because I'm supposed to reveal myself here and I'm going to bring the change. And Rand's just looking at him. And he's not even, he's not even concerned. No. He's just like... He just slowly undoes his sleeves and holds his arms up. He doesn't pull his sleeves up. He just lets the sleeves do the work. Yeah. He's like, I got dragons. And then they're like, we should talk about maybe what you saw in the thing because then we'll be able to figure out who's... Well, it, Rand asks him. He's like, what did you see in the columns at Roydian? And he's like, oh, we don't talk about that. And then basically all the clan chiefs are like, let's all go, let's all go into a room where... All everyone who's like, we need to get into a safe room where only people who have gone through the columns yeah. are there because we don't want to wreck ideal culture. And Rand's like, fuck you. I'm Paul Atreides. I do what I want. <laughs> and Rand's just like, he spills the Roydian beans. Yep. Loudly to all of the, all of the Aiel. <laughs> he doesn't shout it. He's just, just. But the bowl carries his voice. Yeah. he And he's. That it's just such a baller Rand move because he's not pressed. He's speaking in like a very calm tone. Coolidin's like it's like speaking to a toddler who's having a tantrum by not at all match, matching his level. He's just being yeah. a very calm parent to Coolidin's tantrum. And it's amazing. Yeah. Go Rand. And he causes a lot of anguish. He does. The Coolidin doesn't want to hear it. A lot of the Aiel don't want to hear it. And 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 Ruark's just like, why? There's a reason we don't talk about this to everybody. And he's just like, I come, I bring the change. It's not supposed to be good. It's not supposed to be bad. Yeah. It's just change. And I'm sorry, but... He's sad about having to do it. He, But he's like, I'm... Sup- like, this is what has to happen. Like... And then Kooladin chucks a spear at him. And one of the maidens, like, takes it. Yep. And then... And then a bunch of fighting breaks out. and Everyone's veiling. Everyone in the bowl is fighting each other for some reason. Well, because there's there's blood feuds everywhere among the And so they're kind of like, well, the fighting has started, so we might as well. Yeah. uh, And Rand in, you know, another very Paul Atreides moment. I've said that twice and you still don't know what it means. No, I don't. Makes it rain. He shuts them up by making it rain with the power. It's a very Paul Atreides thing for him to do. Um, it's also just a major power move. Oh, well, yes, literally. Well, well, literally. And also, he's just like, what can I do to just jar them the most? Ooh, it never rains here. Yeah, so he causes a downpour. Yeah. And then Landfear's like, hi. He's like, <laughs> oh, I was wondering when you'd show yourself. Yep. And, like, to be fair, so were we. It, it was really the Asmodian thing. I think that was the most out of left field. Because they don't hint at it a ton. Yeah. So then she's like, oh, he's at Roydian. This was a, I was a trap for you. And I was supposed to distract you. And he's looking for a thing. And so he's like, I'm going to 
portal. Yeah. To Roydian. Mm-hmm. And then him and Asmodian, Jason Nadeel. Yep. Get into a fight. Yeah. And it, it also gets physical. They're they're fighting with the power, but eventually Jason Nadeel, Asmodian, finds an access key to one of the big Sangreal. Yes, I was very, very confused at this whole section. So is it... Is it a Turangrial, like yes, that you hold the Turangrial and it just channels the power of the Sangrial? Because he was describing it as like reaching through. I'm like, so is there like a portal? Like, are you like, is your hand hanging it's like out? A, it's like a radio. Okay. The the Turangrial, the like little mini statue. Very, like the picture that was forming in my brain. This is not something you would ever no. experience because this doesn't happen to you. Nope. But the picture that formed in my brain didn't make sense. But once it was there, that was the only image that my brain was going to display. So I kept reading and I'm <laughs> like, I am very confused as to what's happening. It's like one power Wi-Fi. Okay. I was I was imagining literally their hands were like in the no. Turangrial and they were actually touching the Sangreal. I'm like, what kind of weird... Like, Doctor Strange portal magic yeah. is this? <laughs> we already had a little bit of that. <laughs> like, I was very much imagining just, like, a hand. Like, if someone was, like, looking at this giant statue, they'd see two hands coming from portals, just, <laughs> like, holding onto the arms. That was not what's happening? No. Okay. The the Turangreal is a mini version of the Sangreal. I don't remember if we got the name of the Sangreal before. I don't think so. But there are two of them. There are two of them. There's a Sidene version and a Sidar version. And he has both of them now. He does have both of them now. Uh, but the little mini ones allow you to use the Sangreal without being in contact with the Sangreal, which is useful because they're giant statues. Yeah. And so during the fight, they're they're throwing power back and forth. And Rand is clearly on the back foot the whole time. Because he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. Asmodian knows what he's doing and is prepared for this fight. So we get a good mirror here between Asmodian and Rand and Nynaeve and Mogedian. Only here where, you know, it feels like Nynaeve and Mogedian are maybe about evenly matched in strength. Rand Rand is more powerful than Asmodian, full stop. It just takes him a while to figure out what he's doing and, like, in the him realizing that all of these black like lines around him are his connections to the dark one. He realizes he can sever them. Yeah, and but, so he's learning through fighting. Yeah, just a little bit slower than we have seen Nynaeve and Egwene and Elaine do it. Nynaeve, yeah. Egwene, and Elaine once they see it once, well, they can. Yes, I mean they it's, can do it's it. Yes and no. Um, Rand is copying or countering Asmodian's weaves instinctively. Like, with the Pillars of Fire, he's able to counter that very effectively. He is more tapping. I think his is a little bit slower because he's not necessarily as Rand learning how to do these things. He is unlocking old loose there in memories. He's remembering He's remembering how, not just instant learn. And I think some of it comes from, like, we've never really seen... Uh, with in, especially in the fight with Mogedian, we haven't seen Nynaeve pull out anything new during a fight. No, she has just been able to, like, almost immediately copy something. Right. E- but With the same level of effectiveness. Yeah, but generally, 
when she sees those things the first time, it's not a column of fire heading right towards her. No, it's not. Rand has to dedicate a little bit of energy to staying alive in these in this fight. Yes. And I mean, so does Nynaeve in a roundabout way, because Mogidian's trying to not shield her, but still her, and we've seen what happens to people who are still. So Right. But Nynaeve is not showing off something. She's not countering something with that thing, with that same thing. No. She's applying things she has already learned, perhaps in new ways, but she already knows how to do them, even if she can't always access them. Yeah. Rand is seeing, countering, synthesizing new things in a fight. And basically my point, though, is that, like, whereas Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine are... This is brand new information to them. Rand is relearning it. Yeah. And so it just... Especially like, with the uh, the summary called it skimming. With the skimming thing, he kind of remembered what he did before at the Eye of the World. Yeah. Where he kind of opened up a portal into nowhere, used that to get from point A to point B relatively quickly. And... With the black lines, even. he He's done this at least twice before with Agonor. And I think he did it with um, the Shamael. He tried to do it with the Shamael, then he just stabbed the Shamael. Yeah. But he's also, just the way at least Lanfear is seeing it, it he, is rec- he is starting to recall Luz Theron's powers. Yes, but... Because she says, like, you were relearning this way faster than I thought you would. Yeah. Some of that... Lanfear is not the most reliable source when it comes to Luz Theron. Yes, but he does have the... I feel like it's kind of like the Matt thing. Like, Matt's got several people crammed into his head right now, so he's relearning all of it. And so it's not... It's like a weird... If you have the memories of someone shoved into your head... When you relearn that thing, you might be slightly more resistant to the fact that you just relearned that thing. Yeah. Whereas if you were, because you realize where the information came from, it's not like, oh, I've never seen this before. Oh, I saw someone else do it. Cool. Now I know how to do that thing. It's, oh, no, this knowledge came from within the house and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The knowledge is the knowledge is coming from within the house yeah. for both Matt and Rand and neither of them yeah. like it. Yeah. Anyway, in this fight between Asmodian and Rand, Asmodian does far better than Nynaeve did against Mogidian because Asmodian is very prepared. He he knew Rand was going to come eventually. Yes. And so he is able to very effectively fight Rand off. And it really comes down to they both have a hold on this Turingrial, and they have so much power at their disposal that finesse doesn't matter anymore. And... And Rand is starting to get tired, and he's like, I can't get any more from this. But he's like, ah, oh, I just have a regular old angry all in my pocket. Yeah. I'm going to touch it. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it really comes down to, and the only real reason that Rand won that, well, there are two reasons. But the main reason Rand won against Asmodian is he had that other angry all that was kind of a secret. Yeah. I don't even think Lanfear knew about it. Nope. So he has this extra little bit of power that he can tap into. Because he doesn't know how to tap into it on his own yet, I think, is part of it. Because uh, he would no. have been more... He's more powerful than Asmodian. If he knew how to use his powers, he, and he had the Serangriol. I feel like if 
Asmodian's at a five, and Rand is at a seven. Uh-huh. And they both have the Serangrial, which gives them a plus four. Rand would still be two points higher. But because he doesn't know how to use it, that drags him down two points, and the, si- and the Angry Owl put him back up one. It's more like the Angry Owl is plus a thousand. I mean, I was just using smaller numbers well, uh, because it... I, yes, but the Angry Owl is more like plus a thousand, so the difference between a thousand and five and a thousand and seven isn't great enough to really make a difference. Okay. So, but the difference between... A thousand and five and like a thousand and fifty seven could be in a really tight match. Yeah, which basically is what the angry all does. Right. He gets just that little bit of edge and he's able to break Asmodian's connection to the Dark One, which stuns him and is like, oh no. And then he manages to like pull her Tangriel yeah. away. He kind of does like a little roll move. And... Yeah. And then Lanfear shows up. And shields Asmodian for Rand. This is probably the biggest plot twist in the book, where Lanfear isn't totally on the Dark One's side. Oh, I already... That wasn't even a plot twist to me. It's not that big of a, a... That specific isn't that big of a plot twist. I think the plot twist is the lengths that she's willing to go that aren't aligned with the Dark One's goals. She... I gotta admit, she's got lofty goals. I have to give it to her. She yeah. wants to displace the Dark One. And, and also God. Yeah. She wants to, like, she wants to displace the Dark One and be in charge with Luz Theron at her side. It's a lofty goal, and I gotta give it to her. Yeah. I, re- I feel weird, but I really like Lanfear. That's fair. Like, she's evil. She's crazy. I dig it, though. Yeah. Like, I am storytelling-wise rooting for her because I want her to be... (laughs) I want to see what she does. Yeah. Like, I want to see how she influences the rest of the story. I'm not, like, rooting for her to win. Very fair. She's just a compelling villain. She is. So far, the Dark One's lame. The Dark One is just straight-up evil. He's just, like... I don't really care. uh, He's not supposed to be the villain. Like, he's just evil. Yeah, and so, like... The villains are the people who follow the Dark One. And even them, because they're all just like, yeah, I'm loyal to the Dark One. It's like, eh. Asmodian has... Be be uh, more original. Lanfear is original. Lanfear is definitely original. Ishamael was a little original. We didn't get enough time with him because... He was boring. Well, he was a little boring, but it's mostly because we didn't get a chance to see what he wants. It is interesting to have a villain who's so crazy that he thinks he's cosmic evil, but isn't. That's true. He does present himself as the Dark One. Right. And that's pretty interesting. Bilal, whatever. Aganor, Balthamel, whatever. We Asmodian, might have, We might whatever. have some interesting stuff with... Well, Asmodian is a little interesting because Asmodian's really in it for himself. And that was the thing, because he's like, I want to... I'm, I believe in the Dark One. I'm aligned with the Dark One. Lanfear, they will... The rest of the... Forsaken will believe you if you say that Rand is the one who cut me off from the Dark One, not myself. And she's like, you're right. They will believe whatever I say. And I'm going to tell them that you just joined Rand's side. (laughs) Bye. Yikes. And then she shields him. (laughs) And then she shields him. She shields him not totally. She shields him within an inch of his power so that he can still teach Rand how to do stuff. She basically gave Rand a Forsaken as a pet. And it's hysterical. Oh, my God. He has one hell of a teacher for the one power now. 
Yeah, I'm excited for it. He's going to get way more powerful in the next book. I am like, I'm here for it. I've been, I'm hoping that it possibly prevents him from going crazy faster. Maybe if he knows how to use his power. I don't know if it's like a, the more he uses the power, the faster he'll get crazy. It is that. But also like magnitude. So if like. If he can get away with using less. Using less to do the same thing. Yeah, maybe yeah. like, you know, casting 15 level one spells rather than three level five spells. Yeah. And But if you can do the same level of damage at a level one spell as a level five spell, casting it like... So I've gone back and forth on how we've stopped getting as visceral descriptions of the taint, the more rand channels, because it's just we don't need it as much. We still get it. It's still there. Yeah, we get it occasionally. It's really... Really when he's focusing on the power itself and not what he's doing with the power. Yeah. He's like, oh no, I feel the, I feel the corruption. Yeah, because I refuse to call it <laughs> <laughs> the other thing. The other thing. So I, I've gone back and forth on what I think of the taint, and I'm, I'm sure that there's a, a an actual canon or at least word of God answer, but I'm not a hundred percent settled on how I think the taint affects someone. Like, the, the mechanics of how it does so. Is it the more of the power you draw in? Or is it the more frequently you touch the power at all? I I think I lean towards it's how often you touch the power and not how strongly you handle it. Because, one, there's no there's is seemingly no difference in the rates at which people go crazy based on strength. So if it is the amount of power you're drawing in, you would think stronger people would go crazy faster, which may still happen because they may have an easier time touching it. But also every time it's described, it is described as like a, a oil slick over the power. Thin. Once you get past it, the power's underneath. And if that's the case, then it doesn't matter how much you draw in. Once you get past the taint, you're there. I think of it as both. It could be both. I think, I feel like it, I feel like it's both. Like, yeah, if you touch it very frequently, you might go crazy faster. But even if you touch it like 25% less, but you do it 25% stronger, it gives you the same net goal. Like if you're comparing two people. Yeah. Like it, level one spells versus level three spells. Yeah. Like. Could be. Someone. In, in either case, though, I think that Asmodian teaching Rand is not something that will slow his progression into madness. I just think that, you know, there's no way around the taint. It's going to make you crazy, and it's going to make you crazy. When it makes you crazy, you can't really speed it up or slow it down. That's fair. I, there's a lot to be thought about with the taint. It's a, it's a really interesting concept. But I am excited for him to have a one-power teacher. Yes. Uh, it is one thing he was definitely missing, for sure. I also love that he's like, well, I can't call you Asmodian. It's just <laughs> just the way it. he's just so dismissive right now, and I'm kind of digging it. With he's like, gone full Paul Atreides. He's gone. I don't know what that means. <laughs> he's <laughs> Never go full Atreides. 
But the way he's talking to Asmodian, it is like he's talking to a pet, sort of. It's like, well, I can't call you Asmodian. Yeah. What else do you go by? Well, I can't call you that yeah, either. I can't call you your real name because or your, people, your previous name. People because, might know that, too. I guess yeah. you're just going to have to be there's, Jason and Atiel. There's no way Moraine doesn't know Asmodian's real name. Right. So you're just going to have to continue to be Jason and Atiel. Yeah, you're Gleeman to the Dragon and Reborn you're Gleeman to the Dragon Reborn now. And it's just like, dude... Okay. You, <laughs> I love how highly he's thinking of himself. Yeah. And I cannot wait for Elaine to come back and for him to immediately regress back into, I'm a boy who doesn't know how to be around girls. It's like he Maybe. has all this confidence right now, and then Elaine's going to come back in, and he's just going to be like, what? A large amount of it is, I, I, I think that Rand feels like he's earned he who comes with the dawn more than he's earned being Dragon Reborn. Which yeah. I also love for him and so it's like he's he's got this tapping into his roots thing which can be a very powerful thing when you are tapping into your roots like when you know i figured out that i'm more scottish than irish it's like oh i get to tap into this whole other part of my heritage yeah and rand's got that going on and and I love yeah I, I think a lot of his dragon reborn stuff is reluctant in the same vein that perrin is reluctant to being lord perrin golden eyes but he's, like, starting to really be okay with the wolf part of it. Yeah. And with Rand, he's starting to be more okay with the he who comes with the Dawn stuff, partially because of how the Aiel view him. Like, he's not a king. He's just a chief. And they are much more willing to disagree with and openly disagree with their chiefs. Chiefs? Chiefs? Chiefs. Yeah. Chiefs is, like, a weird... <laughs> I don't know if you know what a chief is. Yeah, I don't know. But the Aiel are much more willingly able to disagree with their chiefs. Yeah. And and I think that just makes that, like, much more... It, it's, it's much more like a first among equals than, what? like, a messiah. And is it... He who comes with the dawn isn't necessarily prophesized... Prophesized? Is that the word? Prophesized. Prophesized to be a channeler. No. But the Dragon Reborn is. Yes. And so I think there's an inherent... The Aiel don't, uh, didn't assume that Rand could channel when they were started to think he was he who comes to the dawn. That information was added later. Like, oh, he can channel. I guess we maybe should be afraid of him. But it's a back burner thing. It, they're two separate things to the Aiel. Yeah. Whereas to the Wetlanders, well, and also... being a man who can channel and being the dragon are so intrinsically linked that... It also even goes back to... One means the... Like, you cannot be the Dragon Reborn without channeling. Yeah. You can be he who comes with the dawn. Cooladin. Without... Cooladin claimed to be he who comes with the dawn, and if Rand wasn't there to dispute it, they might have gone with it. Yeah. Who knows? Cooladin. Yeah. Anyway, it also, I think, goes back to the, like, roots of the cultures, whereas the wetland cultures are... are they're all very varied but generally speaking the not to say that the breaking was easier on them than it was on the Aiel but they didn't have to forsake long held sacred beliefs to survive the breaking for the most part yeah whereas the Aiel did and they have lots of people who remember them because they relive them frequently mm-hmm. so the Aiel are much more accustomed to hard truths and the idea that their culture has to shift and be broken and reforged. 
the wetlands don't have that. And so this idea of a figure who comes in and breaks the world is much more devastating to them than to the Aiel because a lot of the Aiel, or at least a non-trivial fraction of the Aiel, remember what their breaking was like. Yeah. They're more comfortable. They're more comfortable with the idea of being broken and remade than wetlanders are. Definitely. Which is interesting. Yeah. One thing we didn't touch on with um, this whole Asmodian and Lanfear stuff is they were basically hiding among the group traveling to Alcaradal the whole time. Yeah. Uh, Lanfear was disguised as Kale. Kylie? I don't don't know how to pronounce that name either, actually. And she's like, I thought about being a Sandra, but I thought you might suspect me more, so I just dealt with being a little bit fatter, which is like, I don't like that at all, but okay. Yeah, I, she definitely knew what... I mean, she's done that before. She's done the Isendra thing before. I just I didn't need the unnecessary fat shaming. Oh, yeah. It, it's kind of weird in a in a series where, like... Weight is never really described. Weight is never really described. And if it is described, it is described as, like, the all the, all the innkeepers who are trustworthy are heavier, fatter people. Yeah. So it's... In, in, for Rand, at least, generally speaking... That's a more trustworthy person. It's not like the way that weight is described in the Wheel of Time for the most part is just an observation. Yeah. And like the language that Robert Jordan usually uses to describe people's weight is never like, ooh, you shouldn't like I've never seen a word to describe someone's weight than like, ooh, you should not. Yeah. That that did not age well. And that definitely, I think, in this case... And there possibly is, and that I just didn't catch because be. I am not plus size. Yeah. But... In this case, because of, I think, Robert Jordan doesn't go... He doesn't go out of his way to, like, make fat people be bad. I think it reflects a lot more on Lanfear. Lanfear definitely is very, very vain. Yeah. It just she, was like, all of a sudden... She's noted to be the only one of the Forsaken who actually chose her name. And she screams at Asmodian when he calls her by her not-chosen name. Yeah, and it's something that... And, like, that, starts beating him with the power. It's something that Rand recognizes. He recognizes the name. He's like, oh, I watched her drill into the Dark One's prison. Yeah. As to be like, the, we found a source for the One Power. Maybe we can... And he's like, did she know? What is going yeah. on here? If, if there are two Forsaken who are the worst, and they're all pretty bad, Lanfear's up there. It's Lanfear and Ishamael. And Ishamael's dead, and so. It, yeah, so it's, it's Lanfear is the, the cream of the bad crop at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Robin's pretty up there because he's definitely playing with Morghese's mind in probably not a great way. Confirmation? Yikes. <laughs> well, Mogideon thinks it's him. Lanfear, though, actively let... I mean, I guess she didn't know that it was the Dark One. But after she did know it was the Dark One, she did not try to correct her mistake. She leaned way into it. She's like, I'm gonna... I'm gonna do... I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Yep. Yeah. So. Anyway, after confronting the Forsaken... Rand skims, which is a new term that Rand doesn't say, and nobody really says in the book, but Dragon Mount said it. Is that something that comes up later? Yes. Okay, so it's just one of those things that DragonMount.com has occasionally done. Yeah, it's not a big deal. 
Anyway, they go back to Al-Kerdal. The Shadow are, are all gone. A, Some varying number of Aiel from the rest of the clans are gone, except, except for... Except the Tardad. Except for Ruark. Which, this is a very... This very much mirrors the breaking of the tower. Where... It, it kind of in inverse, where the tower broke, all of the blues left. Some of every Aja except the red left. But and so in the sense of staying loyal. Yes. Whereas so like with Rand, if you were loyal, you stayed. Yeah. Whereas with the breaking of the tower, you were loyal if you left. Yeah. So all of the blues left. Yeah. Like some of every almost 90 percent of whatever was left of the greens. Yeah. A large number of the greens. Some of every other Aja except the reds who all stayed. And this is the inverse. The Shido left. Some of every other clan, except for the Tardad, left, and the Tardad all stayed. And so. it's just an interesting mirror. Yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting, especially the Aes Sedai that is with Rand is a blue Aja. Yeah. And so... Uh, M- Moraine sort of eschews Aja a little bit. She is, she is very, very, very blue. She's one of the most blue people. But she also is much more worldly than almost every other Aes Sedai. Like, even, like, we have a good comparison in this book alone with Varen and Alana, who are very apart. Yeah. And Moraine is apart, but she also knows about the world. She's not naive. Whereas, like, Alana's a little naive. Varen is just kind of I don't, I cannot nail her down. She's she's a wild card. Yeah. But like a kind of like weird like Grandma Academia. Yeah. Like kooky. She's got like kooky wine ant vibes. A little bit. A little bit. Like several cats, like you can never quite eat anything at her house without there being cat air in it kind of thing. Yeah. Like the stereotypical kooky. Yeah. I mean we probably can't eat things without there being a little cat hair in it. That's true. If you have one cat, everything Everywhere. you eat, everything you eat's gonna have cat hair in it. Yep. Like you may not even notice it anymore. Nope. But yes, Varen's Varen's hard to nail down. Anyway, Moraine is not naive. And no. she is more than other Aes Sedai we're seeing in this book, she is changing her approach to Rand. I just meant more like we in those two direct comparisons, the which are basically the same, just the direction yeah. is inverse. That the people that Rand is surrounding himself with are like we've got a very loyal group of the Blue Aja. We've mm. got a very loyal group that is Ruark's clan. Yeah, both of them are like Rand, sort of. I don't know that the Blues are like. Rand, but the blues are like. But a representation of yeah, these yeah. two most loyal groups, yeah, are aligning themselves with Rand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely spot on there. I think we've got a representation of the blue with Maureen. We've actually just got the entire clan is like, yeah, Rand. Yeah. But. And I love that Ruark is proud of that. Is like my clan. He's a proud did, daddy. Right? He's a proud daddy. <laughs> Not that kind of daddy, but okay. <laughs> Anyway, that was all of this section. Let's talk about the book as a whole. It was big. It was big. This is this is one of the largest wheel. A of lot of books. things happened, and I kind of forgot what happened at the beginning of the book. We start in tier. 
I forgot what happened between there, and like I've I've forgotten some points. Probably. Yeah, it's like three books put together. Well, because there's like three point of views. So yeah, like, yeah. And I, you know, I think it pulls a lot off really, really well. It definitely is the start of a of the Wheel of Time opening up its world to not just be driven by plot. Well, and what I like about this book, pacing wise especially in direct comparison to the last book, which was a pacing nightmare. The There's three plot points going on. And if I were to try to diagram this book in terms of an arc, a plot arc, mm-hmm. I would be able to pick plot arcs. I would be able to pick, like, pinch points and a midpoint and, like, a crisis moment for each of the individual plots, but also for the book as a whole. There's, like, a book arc, but there's also, like, the separate plot arcs. And I can see where this would fit with a larger series arc. So just the pacing of it was very nice in that, like, there were... If you, like, took all of the Elaine and Nynaeve stuff and put it in its own book, there would still be a nice arc there. Yeah. And same with Perrin and Rand. Yeah. It it gets a little weird at the ending when all all of them have to end... And so the endings, they don't feel flat because I like how all of the storylines end. But I feel like any one of the endings could have been given more time and it would have been good. Yeah. Not complaining about what I got by any means. This is one of the best books in the series for a reason. And it's because even despite all of these competing things, it pull each ending pulls off what it needs to pull off. And they all did end at a point in the book that you'd expect there to be endings. Like it all yeah. like we split this up into eleven chunks, but the last ten percent of the book is all payoff for the plot that happened before. And we get three payoffs for this book this plot this book's plot. Yeah. And like around fifty percent of the way in, you know, we had like midpoints for all three. Like they all kind of were around each other and maybe staggered here and there. Yeah. It's a little but, interesting because the like three different plots don't really start until about a quarter of the way through when the three groups diverge. I mean that is usually when a plot would start. It's kind of that breaking into act two. Yeah. It's when you've like you've had kind of an inciting incident, which I'd say the battle at Tyr is yeah. is kind of that inciting incident. But then you've got a bunch of people trying to decide if they're going to accept the call that is that inciting incident. Yeah. And that's and about 20% of the way through. They're like, yeah. yep, I'm going to accept this call. I'm going to go on my mission now. And that's when everyone diverges. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, it definitely, I think, pulls that off very, very effectively. The pacing of this book it, it was I think the best pacing out of the books I've read so far. I think so. I, I like the pacing of... I, I'm guilty because I like the pacing of The Eye of the World a lot. I, it's very, very slow. It's very slow. I did not like. I could have done with 100%, 100 pages less. Well, I like the buildup that The Eye of the World gives you. This is good for a different reason. This is good because it's rolling and you feel the momentum and you feel like... You feel like you're on the highway, and you're driving, and you have a little ways to go, but you're moving. The more I get, the farther into the series I get, the more I like the Eye of the World because I can appreciate it for what it was in a series arc. Yes. But if I'm just taking 
book pacing individually, not encompassing a series. Just this is a very well paced book. It has it tells its own story from start to finish. Yeah, it res- it's introduces a thing. It resolves a thing. It introduces a bunch of other things that I suspect won't be resolved until later. <laughs> Some of them won't get resolved for a long time. But something, things get introduced and things get resolved. Yeah, within this, this book. book starts with a question. How and, is Rand going to learn the one power? That question is end, is is answered. He hasn't learned it, but he, we know how he's going to. And it started for Perrin with what is going to happen when he gets to the two rivers. Yeah. And or what's going to happen with Fael. Yeah. And it started for Egwene and Nynaeve with... What's going to happen we... in Tanchico? Are we yeah. going to find the Black Aja? Yeah. And, well, they do. They do. They and find... And also a Forsaken. Hmm. So, like, the things that get... The plot points get introduced and then resolved, and it's just very nice. It's it like... is. And this book does two other things uh, really, really well, even for The Wheel of Time. Um, and I'm saying even for the Wheel of Time, for one of them, the other one, it just does really well in general. That It's been eh, middling to okay on in the past. Um, the world building in this book is phenomenal. It is not, like, in your face. It's like, yeah. what with Eye of the World, there was a lot of, like, oh, this is clearly a world. Like, the world building hits you in the face. Yeah. And this time... Like, in this book, because it's layered with character development, it's not like, ah, oh, this is world building. Like, it's gotten... my use of world building flags on my flagging system, it was very hard to pick out, like, is this a point where it's really important world building? Because it yeah. was just scattered throughout. There wasn't, like, a... It really helps that he used the world building here to develop the Aiel culture as a character. Like, the... The individual Aiel all have characters, but then the culture of the Aiel also has a character to it. Yeah. And the world building in this book focuses on that so, so heavily, especially for the Rand bits. The Perrin bits, the world building is diving deeper into the two rivers and deeper into, you know, what made Perrin who he is, what, how did Fael come to be, all this other stuff, and... There wasn't a ton of world building aside from Tanchico stuff for Elaine and Nynaeve, but you get a a better look into Elaine's background as daughter heir. Yeah. So it was like very character focused world building. Yeah. But we also get just general world building about like how the world actually functions. Yeah. It's just like there's a lot of stuff about the political situation in Tanchico. Yeah, it's just not in your face obvious that this is this this sentence is world building. Yeah. And it kind I've, of sneaks up on you and just you you absorb it without going, ah, this is world building. I do think that this book isn't possible without that in-your-face world building that was done, is especially in Eye of the World, but between Eye of the World and Great Hunt. Like the, the in-your-face world building allows a more subtle book like this to happen. And I'm saying subtle. It's like a thousand pages. <laughs> Not that subtle. <laughs> But, you know, this, this like, character-driven developing the world and its people as a character doesn't happen unless you've, had, you know, unless you've laid a good foundation for it to happen. I totally agree. And within fantasy series, it's why you've always got to kind of get past the first and the second book, which is always, like, this is super heavy in the world building and I don't care yet. Yeah. And then retroactively, you care. 
And like on a reread, you're like, oh, yay, world building. But there is already stuff in having read this far that if you went back and read book one, things would click into place. Yeah. And I'm just not really a fantasy reader. So a lot of world building all at once, I don't care about. Very fair. Until it's necessary for me to know it. And at the time, I didn't, I was like, I don't know, I don't know what. But now that it's layered in with these characters that I love and care about, I'm like, ah, yes, now I care about the world that you live in. But like, why do I care what world you live in if I don't care about you? Very, very fair. It but is, I read romance, which is all character development. So. Yeah. It is hard to get to love Rand until you realize, until Rand starts to have a real hard time, which is this book. It's harder to love Rand because he's just kind of plain until he's really, really not anymore. And then you kind of, you look back and you go, oh man, <laughs> he has no idea what's coming. I, I still don't really care about Rand. As like a... Yikes. Like, I like him as a character, but he is not the reason I'm reading these books. No. If, the... if podcast aside, obviously the podcast is the reason that I'm reading these books. Yeah. And you, because you enjoy them and, <laughs> you know, people who are married to each other should try to enjoy the, other thing, the things that the other person enjoys. Yeah. But if I were like... If there was something propelling me through reading these books, it's not Rand. <laughs> <laughs> it's Perrin. It's Perrin and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. Rand is, for a large portion of the series, not meant to be sympathetic. And it's not necessarily even sympathetic. It's just we don't spend a lot of time in his head anymore. Yeah. And I liked him a lot in book one. It was earnest. Like, he was earnest. There was, like, an earnestness to him. And even though I did start to get annoyed with him the longer we were in his head, I still did, like, like okay, I could see why, like, I might, like, latch on to you as a character. Yeah. But right now he's just, he. I think he's falling into that chosen one thing where the chosen one in a book sometimes on purpose is a little bit underdeveloped, not underdeveloped, but... <laughs> you can't he's very well developed yeah. but his personality isn't very strong that's fair because you want the reader to be able to possibly see themselves as that is one. definitely not a consistent thing with Rand I can tell you that and I think in this book is when you really like is the noticeable yeah he's Which... kind of his personality isn't that strong because you don't want to give him like a super strong personality trope like trait that might conf- that might make it hard for the reader to be like ah yes I could also be the like I can identify with Rand. I think there might be some of that going on. What I, what I think is going on, having read it several times now, um, I think what's happening in this book is Rand is being swallowed by the Dragon Reborn and the Kalakarn. Yeah, it's not necessarily that. He's not. He doesn't have a strong personality, so that he can, you know, be a self-insert. But he doesn't have a strong personality because his identity has just been swallowed by him being the Dragon Reborn. At the end, he tells, he's almost speaking about himself in the third person with Asmodian, where you can be the gleam into the Dragon Reborn. Yeah, like he is not Rand anymore. 
he is the Dragon Reborn. And I think I miss Rand. Yeah. And that's why I like Perrin and Matt. Because, like, you've got... them. Perrin's grumpy. And he's just, like, he's happy. Like, he's he's both happy and grumpy. He's, like, you know... And then Matt is mischievous. Like, you've got a defining personality trait for Matt some of these Matt is a characters. disaster. Matt is a disaster by... Perrin is a lovable grump. Loyal is shaped like a friend. Like, yep. Nynaeve is... A punch in the face. <laughs> Lan is rock. Yes. Well, they've got like their defining personality traits. Yeah. That is not related to their role in the story. Yeah. And Rand does not have that right now. He his yeah. defining trait is that he is the is, dragon. Is his role in the story. Yeah. Which uh you know, once again, Tovirin strikes as being just the best literary excuse ever. I just want him to have, like, a, you know, like, when you describe a friend and you've, like, got three things, like, you know, like, your three things about what you'd say about your friend. Uh-huh. I want Rand's first thing to not, to the audience of the book, to not be Dragon Reborn or He Who Comes with the Dawn. Just, like, can we give him, like, a... That's fair. When you think of Rand, you think of, oh, he likes to read. Rand That'd needs, be good. Rand needs Elaine back. Yeah. I think he needs... Little little Lord Table Flipper was great for him. Just confusing the hell out of all the Lords of Tear, making out with Elaine in hallways. That was great. Surpri- surprisingly suave, but also awkward Rand. Yep. Yeah. He needs that back. Yeah, he needs that back. Somebody has to give it to him. Avienda, I guess, needs to be filling that role right now because that's who he's got near him. Yep. And I'm kind of just writing the, I'm assuming that Avienda's the third person because she's <laughs> popping up in his dreams and he's Tavirin, and so his dreams that's probably true. indicate what his future is. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Like, we already know one of them is Min. I'm Based on combining two of the visions and shits, uh, Elaine is... Likely, yeah, because she's going to have to share her husband with two women, and he's going to have three women. So, like, if those two aren't interacting, what? <laughs> okay, Robert Jordan. <laughs> okay, Robert Jordan. Like, really uh, subvert some expectations there. Oh God, I hate that I said that. Giving me Game of Thrones flashbacks. Anyway, and that, I mean that would also play into the surprisingly gay for the book written in the nineties with all this polyamorous representation. Yeah. But that's not what's happening here. They're clearly just they're they're the same vision for two different people. Yeah. And so if like, and he had the dreams at the beginning of the book where he was like, you know, having sex in a pond with Min and Elaine, and then Avienda starts showing up. He's Tavirin, so like <laughs> that probably means that Avienda's the third. So I'm operating under that assumption. Yep. Okay. I guess that's not my other prediction for. For the next book? For the next... Not next, not necessarily next book. I don't next. know that I... I think that... Can you have individual book suggestions anymore? I don't think so. That's okay. what I was getting at. It's like, I I think the recurring end of book segments isn't a... What, is, what do I think is going to happen in the next book? Just like, what do I think is to come? Okay. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. What do you think is to come? Um, We have not seen the last of Kulodin. No, he gets away with all the shadow. Also, where did Luke go? 
Also a good question. Neither of those are predictions. Well, one of those is a prediction. The other is just a question. I mean, if I pause at a question, I think it's going to be answered. That's what okay. I wouldn't. But where did Luke go? Like, You think Luke's going to show back up? Yeah, like, he's not, you're not just going to introduce Slayer (laughs) and have Luke get shot and then have him never show up again in the rest of the ten books in this series. I would be so mad. Uh, Like, you can't just drop that and then dip. Like That's fair. So he's obviously going to show up because, yeah, it's just like a, where'd Luke go? That's a missing. Okay. So this, like, book five predictions, or the next book predictions, it's questions and predictions. Yeah. Um, any Anything else? We've gotten a hint at another one of the Forsaken, so we know what... We have kind of tabs on five of them. Yes. So Asmodian is now the Gleeman to the Dragon Reborn. Yep. Lanfear's doing Lanfear. Yep. Uh, Mogidian is doing Mogidian. Yep. Robin is with Morgays. Sure. And there's two others. There's, aren't there's there? three others. Or, but we've gotten news about two others in two cities being controlling. Uh, Samuel there's... and Robin are the only two that we have. We know that there's a Forsaken in Andor. We don't have a specific city. We know that Samuel is in Ilian. Okay, so I'm going to guess that Andor Robin is... In Kinglin. Yeah. More, that's, more gaze. that's a fair guess, I think. And then... The information that we have. We have three other Forsaken. We so, have Grendel, Demandred, and Masana. Who has not even shown up on yeah, page. Yeah, they haven't even been relevant. Even a mention of them has not shown yeah. up on page. So we've got five Forsaken mm-hmm. on tabs. More than five books. We've stopped burning through Forsaken, though. No Forsaken were killed in the making of this book. No. Or even really severely harmed. I mean, I would say that um, Asmodian is having a rough time. I mean, he's having a rough time, but he's not actively hurt. He's shielded. And cut off from the Dark One. Yeah, but that's just every male channeler right now. He has been reduced to status quo. Yeah, that sucks for him. It That's like does I feel suck like big time for him. it's I feel like it's the equivalent of being stabbed and having that wound kind of reopen except emotionally. Okay. Except emotionally. It's not really emotionally. Mentally? Psychically? So, it, yeah, it's it, it's affecting his psyche. Sure. He had he has received a major psychological wound. Okay. I'd say that None of them died though. None of them died. In book one and three, two died each. Yeah. Forsaken didn't die in book two, but was severely harmed. And we sort of died. We thought he died. Yeah. So right now we're at an average of one Forsaken dying a book. Yeah. There aren't enough to go for the whole series. Yeah, I feel like we're probably going to be good... For the next two books, because there are only 13 Forsaken, right? Yeah. And there's 14 books. Yep. So maybe, well, one could could die per book. Yeah, could kill one per book and then kill the Dark One. Bets on Lanfear being the last one to go. Okay. I'm not going to take a bet, because I know what happens. Yeah, that wouldn't be fair at all. It would not be. 
I mean, yeah. sure, I'll take that bet. My money is on Landfair being the last one to go. Okay. I think Asmodian's going to be kind of later in there because you've got to stick around long enough for yeah. Rand. Yeah. And he's not going to be killing, he's not going to be trying to kill Rand. And so who's going to try to kill him? other than maybe another Forsaken. Could be another Forsaken. They are clearly not a very coherent group. No. And that is why Asmodian was the one Lanfear wanted to teach Rand, because she's like, I can control Asmodian. He's yeah. not the best teacher, because Asmodian says that. He's like, the only reason she picked me to teach you was because she could control me. Yep. <laughs> he's, he's very self-aware. He is. I don't think you get to be one of the Forsaken without some d- degree of self of self awareness. I don't think Lanfear is very self aware, but she I think definitely is not. There she's are... just she's like Bella's tricks a little strange, crazy. Yeah, and I love it. That's very fair. There's they all have some level of self awareness with massive glaring holes. Yes. They excel in some areas and are severely deficient in others, where most people are probably average everywhere. Yeah. But okay. Uh, those are those are interesting ideas for the next books. Anything else? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Like, there's probably, like, obviously there's predictions and visions and shit that we have yet to see. Yeah. So that... The my, one of my predictions for future books is always going to be we're going to figure those out. Sure. I think. What do you think is going to happen with the division of the tower? Where were Min and Swan on their way to? I don't Just remember. Out of the tower. Okay, they didn't have a direction they were trying to go. Not really. So maybe I'm really hoping that we get a soiree reunion at some point. Okay. Do you think? The other... I know that in the book it's not they're not canon, so I'm not gonna get like a great reunion, but if it happens in the show, I feel like there'd be a great reunion. Yes. Yeah. You know, they're canon. In the uh, show. Do you think the Aes Sedai who fled the tower are gonna just disperse into the winds? Do you think that they're gonna congregate somewhere? Do you think they're gonna try and fail, try and succeed? I don't really know. I feel like some of them are just going to scatter to the wind. Okay. But I think just the fact that all of the blues left, that leads me to think that they're going to try to rally. Sure. The blues probably have, the the blues definitely have some internal power structure. And they've got an organization. So what they're going to do, I have no idea. Are they going to go try to find Moraine? Are they going to, are they going to try to figure out where Swan went? And rally around her, even though she's been stilled. Yep. Are they going to try to take the tower back? I have no idea. All of the Ajas that uh, escaped that aren't blue or green, I think are probably just going to scatter to the winds and be like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Okay. Maybe they'll try to rally if they see a large group of other eyes that I have rallied. Sure. But if they don't catch wind of it, I think they're going to go do the things that their Ajas are supposed to do. Okay. What about... Uh, and try to meet back up for the last battle. What about Gawain and Galad? Gawain is clearly conflicted about what he did. Yes. And Galad was talking to some white cloaks. I... See, this is... I forgot that they existed. There's a lot in this book. There's a lot in this book. Uh, Galad, I don't... I don't care what happens to him. 
Yikes. Okay. <laughs> Not like I hope bad things happen to him, but, but like, anything could happen. And anything could happen, and I'm fine. Like okay. I don't. Me saying I don't care isn't a bad thing. Sure. It's neutral. You just actually don't care. I actually don't care. Okay. Like, I have no thoughts. Head empty, no thoughts. <laughs> sure. Gawain, I want better things for him. Sure. I do care what happens to Gawain. I don't know what's going to happen to Gawain, but I care about what it what it is. Sure. Sure. Galad could kind of drop off the face of the book, and I would not. <laughs> I honestly would not notice. That's fair. His whole thing is that he's pretty. And it's just boring. Yeah. Well, his, he's pretty and he wants to do good. He's he's, he's pretty. And, he's lawful good. He's lawful pretty is what he is. <laughs> lawful pretty. I mean, he's lawful good. He thinks he thinks about what good is a lot. He more does. More than just about any character in the book. Yeah, but he's just kind of, he's there. That's fair. Yeah. Big bowl of tapioca pudding. <laughs> yeah. Or oatmeal. I like oatmeal. That's but he's pretty. I I don't know why I'm calling oatmeal pretty and tapioca not. That's a weird comparison to draw. Anyway, let's do some other recurring segments before I go on and on about food. Ship updates. I just have to say that Perrin is a Fael simp and I yes. am absolutely for it. And what I would love is to just see more of that. I want more three-page three page <laughs> descriptions of Perrin looking the, at his wife. The battle queen writing in. <laughs> yeah. Just I want more of him just like anytime he looks at Fael going, you're great. Yeah. That's usually like, he was in the middle of a battle and he just is thinking, he just looks at Fael and she, he's like, he comments on seeing her red wedding ribbon in her hair. He's like, I should get her some flowers <laughs> in the middle of a trollic battle. Yup. Yup. Okay. Um, and we also do get Nynaeve saying something about trying to go find land because she's like, if Elaine and Rand can make it work and she mentions, I think she even mentions Aguin and Bail Domon. <laughs> <laughs> she just like makes a couple of relationship comparisons. She's like, I can figure things out with land. Sure. I guess I'll have to share him with a woman I hate, but whatever. I'll figure it out. Which I feel like is she character needs, growth. She needs to get over her hate of Moraine, though. I think I this is it. a step in the right direction. Yeah, I is definitely her being, do. Her being willing to just share him, share him with her yeah. is a step in that direction. Because yeah. before she was very much like, I need you to choose. And now she's just like, all right, fine, I'll share. Like, yeah. Okay. Those were some ship updates. Those were some ship updates. And a little Gawain dinghy is still going. Yep. Gawain dinghy is rowing. Uh, I think um, so, I am also... On some also, rough waters, though. I am also hoping, literal ship, I really hope that Aginian goes with Bail Domon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we can't get it's, actual lesbian pirate Gail Domon, we can at least get Aginian and Bail Domon. Being being pirates together. Yeah. I So I want that to be a, both a relationship and also literally An I want them ship. on a boat together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. What about favorite moments for, let's start with the section. What was your favorite moment this section? Um, I think either Nynaeve kicking ass. Okay. Or Fahil kicking ass in her own way. Okay. Come into the rescue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Mine, I think mine is, it might be Fayil coming to the rescue. That's that's pretty high up there. Uh, it's either that or when Perrin stands up to the White Cloaks. That's good. Um, just between him standing up and be like, no, you didn't help. You don't get to have my life for nothing. Yeah. And the entirety of the two rivers standing up for him at once. It's and, great. And also the final, you did what? Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite moment. I talked myself into it. Something that we did not talk about in relation, because we've been talking about Perrin and Fahil, Um, There is a moment with Alana and Perrin before the battle where she mentions... You don't know what marrying Fael means. And then she also asks him when he's going to give up the axe for the hammer. Yeah, that's a weird question from her. But she also is like, you have no idea what marrying her means, do you? And he's like, what do you mean? What does it mean? <laughs> so I guess prediction, we're going to find that out. I mean, she's heir to a throne. I think it's more Fael's a handful. Yeah, I just feel like we're going to figure more out. Like, I feel you've, you've hinted that there's stuff that Perrin does not know. It's mostly the she's in line for the throne of Sunday. And he doesn't really fully comprehend that. Yeah. And how complicated of a situation him becoming Lord of the Two Rivers actually is. Yeah. But, yeah. But just, also, Fael's just a big old handful of some difficult to handle stuff. <laughs> yeah, because there is a moment between them two where he's like, okay, fine, I'll promise that I'll always tell you when I'm angry. And <laughs> but he he's did. like, she didn't promise the same thing. Eh, whatever. She's here and she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, Perrin. And then I'm going to go get to have sex. This is going to be great. <laughs> yep. He finally gets to have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> nap. <laughs> well, after. The, the fun nap and then an actual nap. <laughs> What about your favorite moment for the book? I think it's just I think it's just Perrin being a Fayil simp. Okay. I think it's just the concept of. Okay. I mean, th- there was a wedding. What do you think is my favorite moment? Very, very fair. You. Either I'm gonna throw it way back to the beginning of the book. Rand annihilating all of the shadow spawn in the stone, and then trying to resurrect that girl. Mm, yeah. Or his, Which there was a callback to it. In there this was. Section. He thought he had enough power with the Sangreal to do that. He doesn't, but he thinks he does. That bit is really nice because that's where Rand getting swallowed by the Dragon Reborn really starts. Like, he failed that girl so severely and all of his power couldn't do it. And that's kind of like Rand died there a little bit. Yeah. Because after that night, that's when Rand's like, I'm going to the going to the waste. That's what yep. I need to do. Gotta do the thing. Yeah. It's just a rough moment for Rand that is symbolic of what happens to him in the rest of the he has all of this power and he can't bring himself back to being just a shepherd. Yeah. Or I like the sequence with him in Roydian, not in Roydian, in I do like the sequence with him in Rodian. I like the whole book. I like the <laughs> sequence with him in Alkerdal, where he's just kind of sadly breaking the Aiel on the truth. Yeah. It's a rough time. It's like, it's the culmination of a whole book of, and a whole three books of Rand not knowing where he's from, and then when he knows where he's from, destroying it. He, do- he feels real bad. He does. He even feels bad for breaking Roydian, but then once he's, like, done fighting, 
he's like he's like oh there's like a lake forming here and I can see there being greenery. I can maybe create a city here. Yeah. He's like, so maybe I haven't broken everything. <laughs> yep. So, this was The Shadow Rising, book four. Book four. I, I, I'm going to ask, and I know the answer, where do you rank this on the four that we've read? It's. I think it's the top. It's the top. I think it's Shadow Rising, Great Hunt, Eye of the World, Dragon the, the, the ten the ten books I have not read yet, and the Dragon Reborn. <laughs> okay, well, you haven't read Crossroads of Twilight. That's my least favorite one. In case it wasn't clear, <laughs> book ten sucks. Or I guess Dragon Reborn is tied with the ten that I haven't <laughs> read yet. So it could be anywhere in there. Yeah. We have yet to go through this log. We have to. We have yet to get through. Although I think I think you'll tolerate the slog better than a lot of readers. I like characters. It's, it's very charactery and it's very political. Oh, I, I might not like that. But it's political in like a charactery way. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, we've demonstrated we've we've established that I enjoy characters. Yeah, because I read romance novels. And next, you will be reading a romance novel. Yes. The next one in a series, I will be returning to a familiar romance world. Yes, you will, because we are going to have you read the second book in the Bergman Brothers series. Yep. Always Only You. For those of you who do not know what the Bergman Brothers series is, it is a series of books that follow, each book follows a sibling in a large Swedish-American family. It's like Bridgerton, but modern. And not royal? And not royal. They're not really royal. They're like... Dukes. They have titles. They have titles. Dukes like, are royal. The concept of, you know, several siblings each get their own book. Um, I'm pretty sure dukes are, by definition, royal. Okay. <laughs> You'd have to be like an earl or a count to not be actually royal. Or maybe a baron. I don't, we're not reading Bridgerton. It's just the easiest comparison for people who don't read romance novels. Okay. Because it's a TV show on Netflix. Sure. Uh, it is a slow burn hockey romance. With a, Those gonna, are words. We're going to continue with the grumpy sunshine. Yep. Uh, except this time the girl is grumpy. And the sunshine is this like Shakespeare-loving hockey player. Great. And you don't expect it. Because he's a hockey player. You'd think he'd be the grimpy one. No. Plot twist. I expect it now. <laughs> ha Well, because I told you about yes. it. Yes. So. I had strong reactions to the first book. I still am not sure whether I hate it or like it. We'll see if I have strong reactions to this one, too. This one, I think, is my third favorite in the series. How many books are there? Five. Okay, so it's really low. No, it's just like two. So I have like my favorite, and then two and three keep flip flopping. I need to reread them to figure out where the okay, so it's average. Okay, they're all like at like an eight to ten. You pull out a third best, and then out of five, that's a sixty percent. Yeah, but I like there's a big gap between me liking this one and me liking the first one that we read. Okay, and then the third book is below that because we established that we don't like Aiden very much. Okay. Cool. So like it's not equally distributed. Yep. Each book doesn't get 20% of the 100%. Yeah. Some get more. 
Either way, that episode will come out in two weeks. And then we're taking a little bit of a break, and we're coming back in the new year. Yeah. With book five, The Wheel of Time, The Fires of Heaven. It's a bit shorter than The Shadow Rising. That's okay. Because this was a long book. It was very long. Anyway, this was season four. We'll see you again. Bye. Bye.